You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. The law feature on Classic Business is brought to you by leading full-service law firm Weber Wenzel through an alliance with Linklaters and relationships with law firms across Africa. Weber Wenzel ensures that you have the best expertise wherever you do business. Now, today we're going to be talking about the Protection of Personal Information Act, or PAPIA for short. And for those who've been living under a rock, PAPIA is uh, the legislative framework for data protection in the country, which really aims to promote this constitutionally enshrined right to privacy. And how does it do that? Well, by ensuring that uh, companies safeguard personal information or organizations. Now, it's been many years in the making, uh, hence my uh, thinking that if you haven't heard of it by now, uh, you've probably been living on another planet. And it finally comes into effect on the 1st of July, which is on Thursday. And I'm sure you're all being bombarded with last-minute prepare compliance emails in your inbox. So we've invited Wendy Timbedza, Senior Associate at Weber Wenzel, to talk to us about the ins and outs of prepare and what you need to know. Wendy, welcome to the show. Data breaches feel like they're occurring a lot more frequently, just internationally. We had the Colonial Pipeline breach. What are the biggest breaches we've suffered recently? Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Sure. So um, from a local perspective, one of our bigger um, recent ones is the Experian breach. Um, Experian is a credit bureau, and it recently suffered you know, quite a substantial breach. The records of uh, personal information of about 12 million South Africans were stolen, and also personal information relating to um, 800,000 or so businesses was stolen. And the, the, t- the type of information that was stolen was predominantly credit and income information of the individuals and the businesses. And then also fairly recently, uh, we had the Virgin Active breach, they suffered a ransomware attack, uh, which caused the, the company to place all of its IT systems offline while they were trying to figure out uh, what the source of the attack was and, of course, how to contain it as well. And with the large network of gyms they run across the country, um, that was about 800,000 member records as well. So potentially the personal information of 800,000 South Africans was at risk in in that case. So, you know, often you have the the high profile cases which deal with these large record um, databases, but you also have smaller breaches as well that can be equally um, as damaging, um, both to those individuals whose information is compromised, but also to the businesses that have been breached as well. And I was going to ask you about that because the big ones grab all the headlines, the Experian one that you mentioned, and you as a consumer can actually go onto Have I Been Pawned? It's uh, a website that was founded uh, by an enterprising Aussie who used to work for Microsoft and you can see whether or not your personal information was part of one of the, the major hacks. But say I've sent an email um, from my company account, small company, without blind seeing, seeing the people who would uh, prefer their details remaining confidential. What exactly is a data breach is, is what I'm trying to get at. What actually counts as a data breach? Sure. So a breach in the context that it's understood for property purposes usually occurs where there's been um, unlawful or unauthorized access to a record of personal information. So, you know, typically instances of a breach um, would be where some third party often, um, uh, you know, gets access to a record of of information. Now, within that, I know the Act speaks of a compromised record. What is a compromised record? Sure, Randy. So any record that has been accessed in a manner that it's not supposed to have been accessed um, really is uh, compromised in the sense that it is now in the hands of individuals who potentially have, um, you know, a will intent in relation to that record. 
Right. Now, when we look at the implementation date of the 1st Ju July, I know there's been some confusion about whether the Office of the Information Regulator is indeed fully functional yet. Uh, is it? What does it still require to become fully operational and functional, or, or is it ready to go live on the 1st of July? Yes, so the Office of the Information Regulator is functional. It um, is still in the process of filling you know, certain posts. For example, um, they recently announced that it's looking at um, uh, getting individuals to participate in its enforcement committee. But really, for all intents and purposes, the regulator is up and ready, uh, running and ready to go on, um, on the 1st of July. There have been some you know, technical issues with the portal for registering information offices, but the regulator is uh, looking into that and has accordingly adjusted some, some of the compliance um, timeframes, but uh, the information regulator is certainly by all indications ready to go. And you mentioned uh, an information officer because the law, according to uh, to PIA, I think automatically designates a person in each business or organisation as the IO, the information officer. What is the process for registering an information officer now with the information regulator? Yes, so by operation of law, um, the head of the organization is the information officer, but of course the organization is allowed to delegate that responsibility to another person. Um, as to the registration, the information regulator has set up a portal for registration, but like I mentioned, there have been some uh, technical glitches, and so there is an alternative of uh, submitting the, the requisite forms um, via email as well. And we know the, uh, the Protection of Personal Information Act uh, grants the information regulator significant powers uh, to summons to appear or give evidence on oath and to produce records to enter and search things like dawn raids uh, come to mind in what circumstances can and will the regulator actually exercise these powers yes so essentially in any circumstances where it, the regulator takes the view that there is a reason to investigate any um, processing activities that are being carried out by a responsible party, then it has the, the power to do so, of course, within the scope of its mandate in the Act. So, for example, the regulator can receive a complaint for from a member of the public and take the view that there, there needs to be further investigation of the processing activities and it can then, um, uh, as a result, con uh, continue to investigate. And then also the, the regulator is mandated to monitor compliance with the Act and so it might then um, exercise its powers in that context as well. Now, if you look at the responsibilities, uh, clearly with great power comes great responsibility as well, as the saying goes. What are the responsibilities of the information regulator, broadly speaking? Yes, so again, the regulator um, is uh, mandated to monitor compliance with the Act. So amongst its duties is to um, educate the public and responsible parties about uh, prior compliant uh, processing activities. And then also it provides guidance um, to individuals and to responsible parties in this regard. Um, and then also it has to report to Parliament about various processing um, matters. Uh, for example, if it is of the view that certain aspects of the Act need to be um, updated, uh, then it would report to Parliament and advise accordingly. Now you speak of Parliament, and we know in the UK they've got GDPR. How is the Information Regulator going to dovetail with these other regulatory bodies that we have internationally to ensure compliance and to ensure there's some level of uh, collaboration across border because much of the data breaches when we talk about data breaches happen in the ether which is a borderless space. 
Yes, so part of the information regulator's mandate is actually to facilitate uh, any cross-border cooperation that might uh, be required for the enforcement of privacy laws. So this would require some level of coordination with regulators in other jurisdictions to facilitate that process. And that might actually lead to um, you know, additional guidance being issued by the regulator around how to manage cross-border data transfers once they have um, a relationship with the appropriate um, regulators that would then determine a way in which the, the two jurisdictions can share information in a way that is compliant with the data protection requirements of South Africa and the, mm. the other jurisdictions. And, and here in South Africa, I mean, if we take a consumer-based view here, you are known as the data subject, uh, and if there is a breach, you are entitled to certain remedies. If you find that uh, the, the, the data breach was unlawful, what are some of those civil remedies for the data subject if they discover that the information has been compromised? Sure. So, for the main part, a data subject can um, claim damages in civil court if the responsible party has breached, you know, for example, one of the eight conditions of lawful processing in relation to that data subject uh, information. And the the act allows a court to award, you know, the, the damages based on the loss actually suffered by the individual, but also it is allowed to um, order aggravated damages as well. And those are determined by the court. And so that leaves, you know, a lot of room for the court to determine maybe, um, you know, that the damages should actually be in excess of the actual patrimonial loss suffered by the individual. So if I find that my information has been uh, leaked via the Experian hack, for example, I've actually got to demonstrate the the actual loss, apart from just being pestered by um, teddy marketing companies, for example, I've actually got to demonstrate what that actual loss is, uh, which I think is a healthy counterbalance to frivolous claims being brought. Uh, when we look at the, the cost here from a company perspective, and I'm sure companies are scrambling to, uh, they've had a year already, but uh, I think many have been uh, asleep at the wheel, maybe dealing with COVID issues uh, and the like, are now waking up to this 1st of July deadline. What can a data breach actually end up costing a company? And, and what are the sort of factors that influence the scale of the cost? Sure. So the regulator can impose a fine of up to 10 million rand in respect of um, a failure to comply with the act. And, you know, the factors would really include the nature of the breach, the size of the breach, um, what, what uh, caused that breach. So, for example, if there was negligence on the part of the responsible party and the like, you know, just a failure to implement basic security controls um, that could potentially have avoided that breach. So a, a variety of factors will influence the actual quantum of that fine. But I think more important than the 10 million rand amount um, is that it's important for companies to note the potential reputational harm that may result if, you know, if customers leave the organization, if they no longer want to receive services from them as a result of the data breach, um, because that could then affect the long-term prospects of the business. So over and above, um, you know, uh, escaping liability in the context of the regulator, it's important to manage that because it could have an effect on um, the bottom line of the business. 
So th- that really comes to our bottom line because uh, companies now need to be implementing and drafting plans to respond to data breaches uh, and uh, also determining the effectiveness of a company's prepare uh, compliance. What's important to bear in mind when it comes to implementing and drafting a plan to respond to a potential data breach? So I think what's most important is that the plan should take into account all possible risk areas. So that would require a comprehensive assessment of the business's operations and all the risk areas within that business. So this would include all technological risks, risks related to personnel, um, accessing information, and also any physical risks in the sense of access controls. For It's really ultimately about ensuring that once you get to the point of drafting those plans, um, you have a bird's eye view of all the risks and you are then able to prepare for the occurrence of such risks with um, you know, the, prop- the appropriate full picture. And do you advise going through sort of dry runs and drills uh, to kind of do a mock data breach just to see how those plans uh, hold up uh, in, in a kind of real world scenario? Absolutely. Um, I mean, a lot of businesses for their technology systems in particular do penetration testing, um, which assists in assessing how um, secure their online systems are so they would run a mock um, data breach, for example, um, and see how effective their policies and their controls are. So 100% that would then help you determine whether or not the measures implemented are sufficient for the potential risks that you might face. And then lastly, Wendy, how do you pronounce it? Is it papaya or papaya? <laughs> sometimes, I must sometimes it's poppy, other times it's papaya. It just depends if I remember that I actually need to call it papaya. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy Timbetta, thank you very much. Senior Associate Weber Wenzel, Papaya, Papaya, whatever it is, it is here on the 1st of July. And uh, you better ensure that you're compliant. 10 million rand fine at the top end awaits you if you're found to be in breach. Uh, the law feature on Classic Business was brought to you, as always, by Weber Wenzel. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. And Williams has your news up after this. Knowing that limitations exist and knowing that there are no boundaries to your possibilities, combining knowledge and experience to provide tailored and commercial business solutions, leveraging key relationships with global firm locators and law firms across Africa, that is the value of experience. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. See the value of experience at WeberWenzel.com.